This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So just a small example of a significant opportunity, both in the pandemic, social unrest, and our political situation to just have a conversation, which says I'm human. I understand there's things going on external to our day-to-day business, and I want to make sure you're okay. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show. I am so excited today to be able to bring to you a guest I think you are going to find intriguing, fascinating, and inspiring. Her name is Dawn Kirk, and she's the owner of Best You for Life, a premier executive leadership coaching and consulting firm. And before her entrepreneurship endeavors, Dawn uh, epitomized excellence in and out of the boardroom. She's been dubbed one of Georgia's 100 most powerful and influential women. And I think one of the things that you'll appreciate is her approach. And it's certainly something we appreciate here is it's a real life approach toward professional and lifestyle management. And, you know, her corporate career has spanned two Fortune 100 corporations, Frito-Lay and Coca-Cola. She's worked across business and sales, finance, ops, marketing, national accounts, sales and operations planning, commercial GM roles, led over 10,000 associates throughout her career. So whatever you're doing, she probably is familiar with it. And she's received innumerable rewards. If, if I was to go over all the awards, Don, that uh, you've received, we wouldn't have any time for the show. So <laughs> we'll just acknowledge that you are, are regaled and, and, and acknowledges outstanding in your field in numerous ways. And so uh, you're coming uh, to the program today from Georgia. Is that right? That is correct. Atlanta, oh, Georgia. All right. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. So Don, love to ask you this question going back in, I don't know how far back, it's your choice, but your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. My earliest memory of myself as a leader. That's a great question. You know, I have to go all the way back to, you know, really childhood. And I I don't know if I necessarily recognize it as the leadership word at that time, but I, I would go back to sports is probably where I really first began to understand, you know, leadership, being on a basketball team, also being on the track team and understanding the importance of working with others and, and doing your part to accomplish a team goal. Well, and that's so much of the value of childhood sports, isn't it? Is having yes. those experiencing and, and giving us those opportunities. And, you know, and I appreciate what you said, Don, that you don't know that you would have necessarily at the time identified it as leadership, but looking back, perhaps you were building some of those initial themes that have served you the rest of your life. Correct. Correct. Well, and one of the ways that they've uh, served you is certainly the leadership approach that you have uh, built. And uh, the name of your book is Heartbeat Leadership. And in a little bit, we're going to talk more about the book and uh, and I know just reading the book and, and, and listening to you talk and, and some of the things that watching some of your videos and, and so on, the, some of the approaches that you take are so aligned here with leadership without losing your soul. 
So I want to ask you, because you have had that career spanning so many different organizations and roles, and I know that you have seen leaders who, one way or another, are managers who have lost their soul. Yes. <laughs> and I'm curious from your perspective, when, so we're talking leadership without losing your soul, what is it that causes leaders to lose their soul from your experience? Wow, that's a great question. So in my experience, what I've seen is two things. Um, I don't believe anybody deliberately or intentionally loses their soul in the leadership journey. I think it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day you know, especially in corporate America, chasing the results, chasing the numbers, managing a PL, you know, the demands of all the things that come at a leader, that it's you can very easily, if you're not intentional, lose sight of the people side um, of leadership. And I think the second one is just probably overcommitment. When you think about all the roles we all play, you know, whether you're a wife and a mother or a father, um, and all the things that you do outside of work. It's just the balancing act of trying to be good and excellent in all of those things. So I think it's, you know, just taking on too much and not really prioritizing what's most important to you. Oh, uh, Don, it's like you had an insight into my week this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you just said something that I think is so important. And I, no one takes a leadership role intending to hurt other people, right? Right. I mean, I mean, I suppose that there's like some psychopath out there somewhere who, you know, is just miswired and wants to do that. But that's not most people. Most people, you know, have other motives and are either they're trying to do something and, and it falls apart. Right. They, right. Don't have, they don't have the tools. They don't know how to deal with it. They took on too much, like you were saying. And so I don't think it's too far a stretch that to say that you wrote Heartbeat Leadership to help prevent that process and to equip leaders to do the opposite. Absolutely. That is absolutely fair. And oftentimes I was asked a lot because I would tell you earlier in my career, you know, kind of really being this people focused leader wasn't that popular to be quite honest with you. It was like, Hey, that's too soft. You know, it's going to take you forever to get results. If you keep focusing on people, you know, we got to get the numbers, we got to get it done. And um, I, I just never abandoned my passion for the people will help me get this done. I've got to get it done through people in order for this to be sustainable and replicatable and to walk to work um, smarter versus harder. Um, so I did write the book for that reason, because people often ask, how are you able to you know, still be this approachable leader, still very focused on developing your teams and still be successful at driving the results? And what I found is when I talked to people, they wanted to know how to do it, but they really needed a roadmap and just couldn't figure out the balance, if you will, between the two. And it generally becomes an or versus an and. Absolutely. We're fond uh, here at Let's Grow Leaders of talking about landing in the and. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 and the primary and being that and between results and relationships. And, Absolutely. You know, we all have our national, natu- national, our natural gravity kind of, I think by just DNA or what, or upbringing towards either results or relationships. So how do you help leaders and, and you can get into heartbeat leadership to talk about this. How do you help leaders bridge that and bring those together? 
Yeah. What I found is, was the secret sauce, at least in my own journey was it's not, I don't believe that I was like, you know, significantly smarter than anyone else. I really think it came down to how you chose to spend your time. And so the framework that I've put together around these six pulses is really focused on, you've got to be very intentional and you've got to really protect your time and allocate your time in a way that allows you to keep your eye on both balls. And sometimes, yes, at the same time, almost splitting your eyes, right? Um, so the framework is really designed around processes, systems, time management, and being very intentional on what's most important at any given time and being able to sort those priorities out and be able to communicate those effectively um, to your team. Mm. And I remember as an early leader, you know, you know, being challenged with all the demands. And early on, I found myself spending all my time with people and not so much on the detailed results, which you can imagine probably what happened in that scenario, right? <laughs> that, okay, it's like, great, you're developing teams, but you guys aren't delivering. And I would find myself at the end of the day, it's like, well, I've spent my entire day talking to people. It feels good. But now I've got to go spend the next eight hours at home, you know, to get my other work done. That's when the light bulb really went off and said, listen, how do you really balance and integrate where you can do both? And so I said, you know what, I've got to schedule time with people. I cannot continue to just be ad hoc and be so accessible that I'm now not being effective. And so that really became the premise of everything that I was doing is like, how do I create this system around my time to be very intentional on both of those? Well, I just think that there is such an important element there that you're talking about that is not intuitive for many people and, and from either side, whether you start with results or you start with relationships is the, to take a look at how you're allocating time and recognize that you need to allocate to both. Mm -hmm. And, and then I would might even take it a step further and how you allocate to results and relationships in the same moment. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, a great example of that, as I always I'm a huge proponent of, you know, particularly for your direct reports, if no one else and your immediate manager, two groups that you have to schedule quality time with is setting that, you know, set time each week or each month or biweekly, whatever the frequency needs to be. And it's a combination agenda of, you know, continuing to get to know that person, asking them about what's going on, what support do they need from you? And then, hey, what's going on in the business? You know, what's what's the latest updates? What are you challenged with? What's working well? What are your obstacles? So you can really have that conversation in that 30, 30 to 30, 45 minute conversation and build the relationship and have a great update on where people are with their results and be able to coach and give feedback real time. Love it. Love it. And I think that principle expands and applies to so many different aspects of our leadership and management. Mm -hmm. If we're looking for it, if our eye is, as you said, having an eye on each that, you know, we're bringing it together in those moments. Let's talk about heartbeat leadership. So you use a metaphor of obviously the heart and you talk about the pulses, right? So there's that heartbeat through your leadership and the, the and you have different pulses that you identify. And so it's kind of, and you know, even I, I read the book, I didn't listen to an audio version, but I can almost imagine the, you know, the boom, the, the thump, thump, yeah. <laughs> right. And so I'm yes. getting that. So take us through, let's go to a high level. What are the pulses? What is this heartbeat that we're talking about? So the heartbeat really is my, I have a huge philosophy that people are the heartbeat of business. People are the heartbeat of leadership period. And so as I continued to say that this, this vision came to life of this, you know, the analogy of the heart. 
And I, I, the book is really centered around being, I would go monotically focus on people while delivering results through them. And so I just really want that to be at the forefront that at the end of the day, leadership is about people. It's nothing more, nothing less. You know, I'm a huge John Maxwell fan. So he always says that, you know, the definition of leadership is influence. So I really want to help people expand their influence and understand you do that through people and through your relationship building. And when you do that, you can also, and you will also reap the rewards and the outcomes of results. And so the six pulses themselves really was born out of the question I was asked often about how did you do it? Like, I see what you're doing, but I don't know how you have time to do it. Like, do you work 24 seven? Do you ever sleep? And I'm like, I get eight hours of sleep. You know, I, I do. And I started to really think about, well, how can I teach and provide people a roadmap if they want to do the same thing on how to do it. So I really started reflecting back through all of my major leadership challenges and started trying to identify how did I do it? Because honestly, it was kind of natural for me a little bit. I think leadership is a gift of mine. So what appears to come easy to me, people are struggling with, and I wanted to provide a roadmap that helped make it easier for them too. And so these were the six pulses I identified that I, I use, you know, without even thinking about it on how to approach this people and results um, dilemma. And just in case anybody is sitting here listening going, okay, well, I'm not naturally gifted like Don. I'm not gonna (laughs) let you get off the hook. You did some work. You did some work in your career. You're right, you're right, I did. And and you talk about it in the book, which is how I know, you know, that, (laughs) that, you know, the lessons that you learned along the way, the struggles that you had to go through and, um, that helped define some of these pulses. So take us through at a high level. What are the six pulses? And, you know, just like, like give us a sentence or two of each one so we can have sure. a framework here. Sure. So um, the first pulse is, is what I call priorities. And priorities, I call it the purpose of leadership. And this is the priorities give you the gift of clarity and help you position your team to win. Um, the second pulse is preparation, which is the energy of leadership. Um, I believe, you know, preparation is critical if you want to close the gap between where you are and where you want to go, you know, personally or as a team or as an organization. Um, The third pulse is people. That's the power of your leadership. You know, people should be and are your competitive advantage. So you want to ensure you have the right people around you and that they're in the right seats. Um, The fourth pulse is processes. That's the drivers of leadership. Processes are the drivers that simplify leadership to measure success and mark consistent wins. The fifth pulse is performance. Of course, you know, we're all in business to to drive results and get an outcome. So the metrics of leadership without measurable targets, it's impossible to know if you're succeeding. And then the last one is around promotion. And sometimes when I, you know, use the word promotion, people automatically think about, you know, advancing their career. While that can be one of the outcomes, I'm really speaking about the growth of your leadership because promotion is the catalyst that helps your leadership grow. So if you're really effective, others around you are growing and moving and achieving their goals as well, not just the leader themselves. So those are the six pulses. I'd like to take a, a little bit deeper dive into a couple of these, but I want to do this in, in some contextual ways that are, you know, in, in the air right now, the things that we're talking about and everybody's living through and, and so on. And, um, you know, let's, let's start with people. So pulse number three, people, and you've, you've mentioned several times and definitely am aligned with you that people are everything. There isn't 
you know, you're not leading if there's no people and there's no results if there's no people. It's, it's at the core of influence and everything we're doing. Yes. And I think intellectually, I've never met a leader who wouldn't agree with that. Right. But there's a difference between intellectually saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people are everything. I mean, we got it. Leadership is people, right? <laughs> right. There's a difference between that and what we're really talking about here. That, well, let's let you define it. When when you were distinguishing between, yeah, 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 people, people, people. And no, no, no. What I'm saying is. Yeah. So it's hard to describe a little bit, but if I had to articulate that. Um, I would say it's, it's having that people lens first. So I'll give an example. So, you know, you talk about what's kind of going on right now. So if I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a corporate executive and the pandemic hits, right? Uh, we're shut down, the business is closed. And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh my goodness, how are we going to make, you know, this quarter's number, right? And that's going to be on any person's mind. And even as this heartbeat leader, it's on my mind as well. But as we talk about how we work through that and how we solve it, we've got to have a people first lens. So in my mind, the first thing is number one, what's the status of our employees? How are they doing? What's their well-being? How do we provide direction and, and support through a, a situation as challenging as this that none of us has been here before? And I think it requires a leader to be a little bit vulnerable as well, because I'm sure and as I have in my own household, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is, okay, what do we have to do as a family first? And then secondly, what do we do to make sure we keep food on the table and we manage through, you know, the business impacts, you know, of all of this. But it's really about that people lens first as a conduit to the solution to the business problem is the way I would describe that. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I, I, we like to say put people before projects. And it's not that it's not people instead of projects, right? The, right? the projects and the work is still important, but the people, if you're making the investments that you're talking about and putting yes. putting them at the center of things, they're going to be there for the next project and the exactly. project after that. Exactly. And- I'll give you a, a prime example of some failures in this space. So, you know, I, I coach in some pretty large um, organizations and, you know, in addition to the pandemic, there's been a lot of social unrest as well. Right. So mm-hmm. imagine, you know, and I'll, you know, being an African-American leader in a, in a fortune 50 company and having no conversation, no questions asked about how are you doing? you know, what support do you need? Or just seeking to understand, not a word uttered. Mm. And the the unintended consequences of that was, it's not that the company probably didn't care. Maybe they didn't know what to say, didn't know whether they should say, but because they didn't say, that leaves your employee. Um, I always say in the absence of information, people make stuff up. So, <laughs> so they assume because it's there true. was no communication that they don't care, which probably is furthest from the truth. But again, there was no communication. So I get to make up what I think the reason for that is. So yeah. just a small example of, you know, a, a significant opportunity, both in the pandemic, social unrest and our political situation to, to just have a conversation, which says I'm human. I understand there's things going on external to our day-to-day business. And um, I want to make sure you're okay. Love it. And gosh, you've just uh, fired off about five follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll try to unpack these. So first, just a comment. Yes. In the absence of, inf- it's funny because I always finish that in the absence of information. And then I like to say people jump to the most pathological conclusion possible. It's almost like our <laughs> brains are wired 
to, to go to the negative story. Absolutely. And so as leaders, we got to recognize that's not because you got, you know, anything wrong in any of the people on your team. It's that that's how we're wired. Exactly. So, and particularly in this environment, the more anxiety, the more turmoil, the more change and upheaval there is in any aspect of life, the more we need to be communicating. So absolutely would, would underscore that based on what you're saying there, but Gosh, a couple of uh, things. So I'm thinking of a friend of mine. He's a, a family physician, and he uh, re- right as the pandemic was starting, he got a new manager, and then you know shortly after that, then uh, George Floyd George Floyd was killed, and you have all of the social unrest and racial equity movement that's going on. And he said that to that manager of his, texted him, and he sent me a copy of the text. Uh, and, and I should say he's a, a black man, my friend, and mm-hmm. he sends me this text and says, look at what she asked. And it was just what it was pretty straightforward. It's, hey, I'm I'm writing and texting because we've got I want to make sure you're prepared for the stand up, the huddle meeting that we've got in the morning. But more than that, with everything going on, I want to see how you're doing. Perfect. And he said, here's the thing. And, and, and he paused like this and he's almost mm-hmm. choked up about it. And if you knew him, like he's, that's not how he is, but mm-hmm. he said, this is the first time in my life, in my career, I've ever had a leader or manager ask me how I was doing about one of these things. And it's not like this is the first time we've been through this right. as a country. And, you know, it's, it's just, it gives you pause, like seriously, Right. And how much of that silence is out there? And he said the follow-up here, and I think this is important for our, our listeners, is he said, I'm sure it was awkward for her to ask. Um, he said she was a white woman and, and so on. He said, I'm sure it was awkward for her to ask, and she didn't know exactly right what to do. And he said, here's the thing. It's awkward for me to be asked. I don't want to need to be the guy that needs to be asked, are you okay? But I'm not okay. And it's not okay. And it's a absolutely a good question to be asking. Mm-hmm. And the way that he reinforced that, you know, it was, uh, it was particularly meaningful, but I'm wondering as we talk about these things and we've got an election coming up, which, you know, no matter who wins, there's going to be people who are upset and disappointed yes. mm-hmm. um, and contentious and so on. So we're talking about heartbeat leadership and, and putting people first and acknowledging these things and being vulnerable ourselves and having the conversations th- that's got to feel awkward for many leaders. Uh, I know it does. You know, you tell, I know that you have these conversations with yes. people all the time. They're like, gosh, I'm not sure where to start, what to say. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but what are your recommendations for people who are struggling with practically where to start? And they want to be a people centered leader. It's an excellent question. And I know that people struggle with this. And I would say, number one, I think it's give yourself permission that it's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable because that's the moment where growth happens. And that also is the moment that you appear to be a real human being to those that are watching and following you. So I, I would just recommend just ask a question. Like you don't have to make a statement. You don't have to have an answer. You could just simply say, I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. Even just an open-ended question. If you don't even want to be so direct about how do you feel about X or I noticed X, just if you're already in the habit of connecting with people, 
then this conversation will become easier because it won't be the first time that you're, you're asking them about anything personal or you're asking them about how they're doing as a human being and as a person, not just an employee. So if you've not done that, it's not too late ever to start. And I would just be, I would just be very transparent to say, Hey, you know, I know a lot's been going on. I just want to know, how are you doing? Here's how I'm feeling. Maybe share how you're feeling, how you're processing things as a way to open up the dialogue. Mm. So go first. (laughs) Leaders go first. You're reminding me of a uh, a conversation uh, we had with, uh, uh, tech company uh, executive, 22,000 person team, global team he's got and got everybody together, all his leaders together and started with that vulnerability. He said, listen, this is tough. And he said, I just want to give you briefly my experience. And he talked about the, leading the China team through and then it was the Italy team and then it was the US team. And like, and he's been dealing with it for month after month after month, always thinking it would settle down. But then of course it didn't. Mm-hmm. He said, and then um, you know, and there was some self-disclosure if anybody didn't know. And he said, you know, and my, um, my husband has been taking care of our two kids and, um, and then they just had a, a coronavirus exposure last week and we don't know what's going on with that. And, 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 and on and on and on. And he said, and, and I don't share any of that to, for a pity party or a woe is me. I'm sharing that because if that's my reality, I know you have your reality that's similar and different in some way. And we are all challenged with all of this. Yes. And so as we are having our conversations with one another, and as we're having our conversations with our teams to be real, to have that vulnerability that you're talking about. And it's just so powerful to be able to start there. And you could have, it was a virtual call, obviously, but you could have heard a virtual pin drop. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, everybody leaned in and he had everybody's heart. And if we got that. Absolutely. And those are the moments where your credibility, you know, triples or quadruples in those moments like that, which sometimes people think, you know, those are small situations or small opportunities, but the the payoffs from that are just huge um, that you cannot replicate in any strategy meeting. You can't replicate on any PL call, any huddle call. That's that discretionary effort. That's that discretionary collateral that you build in those moments. Absolutely. And it's where people take it to the next level in the results Mm -hmm. part of the equation. Exactly. Exactly. They're going to run through the wall harder because they know you care. Well, Don, being being as uh, relevant as we can here in the moment. So this episode Mm -hmm. is airing the Friday before Election Day (laughs) in the United States. Yes. And so we're in the middle. We've got this contentious election uh, going on. The the electorate is polarized. The media is polarized. Social media is doing their thing. You got foreign actors trying to drive us against one another. All the different. Yes. And there is, and I, you know, and I don't know what the stats are. It's hard to tell. Um, there are elements for both sides of the electorate who feel that this is an this election is an existential threat. That if the election goes this way. I am fundamentally going to lose something. People feel that at a deep visceral level and and sometimes with good reason, right? So as leaders and, you know, managers, we've got a job to do. We've got work that needs to be accomplished, but our people and our teams and ourselves all exist in this larger context. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice? And I'm, we didn't talk about this before the show. So where is he going? (laughs) 
but it, it, I'm wondering, you, you've obviously got wisdom in these areas. And I'm wondering if you have any recommendations, if you're leading a team of managers and saying, hey, folks, we need to be ready for the election next week, because I don't care who you are, you're going to have disappointed people on your team, and there's going to mm-hmm. be high emotions. Any advice you have for leaders who want to be people-centered, uh, going back to Pulse 2, their preparation for mm-hmm. this and way mm-hmm. of managing and leading their teams and helping their teams to navigate through this effectively? Yeah, um, this one's tough, but I think there are two things I would say. The first one would be, particularly on the preparation side, one is the messaging even going into next week. So I don't know, you know, different companies have different policies, but if you can give people the space and encourage them to go vote, number one, right, that they shouldn't have to choose between their jobs and voting and, you know, potentially long lines and all of that. So if you got some flexibility um, and, and, and some room, you know, give people a little latitude to make sure they can get out and vote comfortably and not be rushed and stressed about, you know, what's going on at work during this time. The second thing I would probably do is the day after, I would probably either um, as an individual leader, make sure I personally called each of my um, direct reports to see how they're doing. And, you know, uh, who knows what's going to be going on in the news that Wednesday morning, but be prepared for it. Um, Or another opportunity could be, you know, town hall type of sessions where you can just, you know, open it up for people to just be able to share how they're feeling into the process. I've seen that done in several organizations around, you know, social unrest events, big events that have happened that have taken a toll on a, you know, a broad population of their employees. And I've always seen and heard the comments afterwards that it was just nice that the companies and my the leaders cared enough to take a pause to address something that was so broadly affecting people. So that would be my my two recommendations is kind of take a little bit of a break from the your day-to-day a business routine and lean in to listen, to be an ear, and to be a little vulnerable about what you might be going through emotionally as well as we go through this election. Mm, powerful. And so it's not about staking out your own position in terms of where you stand on the issues. Right. It's about sharing the emotion that this is tumultuous. It is concerning. It is potentially frustrating or whatever range of emotions and making space to hear and listen um, to what other people are experiencing without judgment, (laughs) which is honestly, I think for some folks, very, very challenging. Yes. People get in this environment here. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but I do think I haven't had this conversation with anybody else done. So I'm having it with you. I think that's fine. (laughs) uh, uh, Because I feel like you, you, you might have this sense in what I'm seeing in your writing is that we have massive work to do as a society. Like there, there's so many, I think we're all aware of it. Like there are right. some things that are not working. And, but the teams, the people that we interact with the most are the people we see at work, right? And exactly. after, that, it's, after that, it's our family. So our ability to build a better world, I don't think it's too big an exaggeration to say, starts with the teams that we're leading. Yes, it does. It really does. We spend more time with teams than we do with our families. I mean, just by default, you spend more time at work than you do at home. So if we're going to work through these issues, we're going to have to work it out through the workplace. Yeah, I I so believe that. And I don't mean to add, you know, one more to do. (laughs) 
KPI on top of, you know, you know get that new QA uh, process taken care of, meet your metrics. Oh, and by the way, can you heal the world too? You know, right. But I say that tongue in cheek, but yes, also yes. Yes. You know, there is, that's part of the fundamental work we're doing is how we're leading. So I hope that as you're listening today and thinking about your leadership, that you can take some of Don's suggestions here um, to heart, because whether you're listening, you may not be listening in real time right before the election. If you are, great. But if not, there are a thousand other opportunities to push pause, to acknowledge that people are feeling something about whatever's happening, to ask and build those relationships. How are you doing? And to, to take that deeper dive to build and be vulnerable yourself to build the, the connectivity you need to lead your people. So we've camped out on people for quite a while here. Let's, uh, let's uh, head to Pulse 6, maybe. Let's talk promotion. So you said promotion. This isn't necessarily career advancement. We're talking about the expanding of your own capacity as well as that of people around you. Do I have that right? Yes, absolutely. All right. So why is... Why is promotion, one of your six poles, why is it such a fundamental leadership principle for you? Yeah. So a couple things. One is one of the things that I, I hear a lot in the themes when I'm talking to people is this, you know, sometime discontentment with career paths and I'm not being promoted. I'm not being recognized. I don't know my next steps for anything. The company's not talking to me. I'm not being developed. And it really kind of struck me is that I think um, we sometimes give away too much of our own individual power to our leaders, to our the people that lead us and to the organizations that we work for, not realizing that we have more in our control than out of our control. Um, so I wanted to write about how do you how do you appropriately advocate for yourself and make sure that you are articulating what it is you're trying to accomplish, that you're articulating the kind of work that you're doing and the impact that you're having. But secondarily, as a leader of others, that that is a prime um, responsibility that you have, that it's not just about your career and what's happening with you as a result of the team you lead. In my opinion, the biggest proxy to how effective you've been is how do you promote others in either your rhetoric how you give credit to your team, how do you provide exposure for them in the areas that they'd like to get exposure in, and how do you, you know, cultivate that dialogue on a more routine basis? So well said. And, and once again, so much to unpack. <laughs> you speak in rich words, Don. Give us a lot, to, <laughs> a lot to work with here. So, okay. So two things. Um, one is the promotion of others and that that's a fundamental responsibility. You, you know, I like to say you can't outsource or you shouldn't outsource your leadership development of people to mm -hmm. anybody else. I mean, yes, your ops team, I mean, your OD team and HR, they should be helpful and their partners and so forth, but it's your responsibility as a leader to help yes. your people grow and other people may provide the resources and the training, but what are you doing to sponsor that? Absolutely. Okay, so let's go to the first first thing you said there about helping people advocate for themselves. Um, what would be one practical suggestion that you would have for somebody who is feeling that they're not doing a great job of that, they're feeling um, either unheard, overlooked, their voice isn't being recognized? Um, what's a practical suggestion that you have to help people with that? 
Yeah, the number one practical suggestion, and I was one of those folks at one time in my career, is to manage and build that relationship with your immediate leader. Because that leader, in my opinion, is the number one gatekeeper, can be the number one gatekeeper to um, exposure to the rest of the organization. So I think it's important that you make sure you're articulating to your leader what your goals are, what your objectives are, that you're asking for the feedback if you're not getting the feedback um, and let that be the starting point of mapping that strategy forward and, and getting them to be a partner and an advocate and helping you do so. So number one relationship you've got to master is your immediate leader. Mm, and so many people don't have a good relationship or don't know where they stand, but you've got to take that courageous move and, and go find out if it's not being offered to you. Uh, so powerful. And, you know, I know that people are listening right now saying, well, Don, you don't know my boss. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. And it's true. We don't, but we do. And the, but the practical advice that you just, I just want to make sure we highlight that for everyone. When you go ask for feedback and you say, listen, I want to make sure that I'm knocking it out of the park in regards to the results that we're supposed to be achieving and what's going to, what you need to have happen, you know, Mr. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Leader. And, uh, and I'd want to make sure that I'm getting that done. And I'd love to get your feedback on how I can X, Y, or Z. And the more practical you make it, the more likely you are one to get that feedback, but also it alerts them <laughs> that you care about those things. Right. It makes them think about it. And you're, you might be right. They may never have thought about it. They may have been overlooking you, but you have forced them to now by a very reasonable question uh, that is in your interest and theirs to answer. Yeah, I would tell you that is one of the things that I adopted very early in my career, kind of out of necessity. It's like, okay, I've got to figure this out. I, I need more feedback. I need to, you know, make sure I'm heading in the direction I like to go. So I always, we, I'll go back to what I said earlier in the show about scheduling and being very intentional. So whether my leader asks for this or not, I always, I should say required, I'll say request, <laughs> request it. Um, a regular check-in, whether that, you know, some leaders, I did it weekly, depending upon, you know, what the situation was, but at a minimum, it was bi-weekly. 30 minutes is all I asked for, and I controlled the agenda. So if you're going to ask for your leader's time, you've got to be prepared, and you've got to have an agenda because they're extremely busy. So it's not that they don't want to talk to you, but you need to come buttoned up and prepared. So I'd come in, I would share my latest updates on the work that I was doing. Here's how things are going. Here's my questions I have for you. Here's the support I'm looking for, the things I'm challenged with. And the last question I always asked before I ended, we, before we ended that meeting was, do you have any feedback from me directly? Or are you hearing anything I should know about from any of my other key stakeholders? Hmm. That is gold. That is gold. That is an agenda. Everybody, you can, I mean, I know we all, we're always focused on the practical tools that you can apply right away, but that is something as soon as you press pause or stop on this episode that you can schedule that meeting and be prepared for that agenda if you're not doing that already. Such a powerful tool. Don, thank you for sharing that. But I know that that came from a place and reading the, reading the book, I know that you implemented that policy for yourself because of some of the challenges you faced. Yes. You know, and I know we've been talking about vulnerability and so forth. Would you mind sharing with people about why you found it necessary to do that? Because I think that there it is, there's power in that. It's easy to look at it and say, oh, well, okay, that's easy for her to do. But 
Yes. So, um, you know, a lot of the things that I've talked to, that I talk about in the book and just my philosophy on leadership in general has been born out of my desire to a be the best version of me I could possibly be, and then secondarily be the best leader of others I can possibly be. So early on, when I you know first joined corporate America, you know I, I was working in you know Fortune 100 companies, very you know white male dominated, you know one of the youngest nine times out of ten, one of the only females and or only African-American. And I can remember very vividly, like one of my first business meetings, you know, straight out of college, you know, I'm bright eyed, bushy tailed, excited, you know, ready to go and conquer the world, only to be met with almost as if I was invisible, you know, walking into a meeting, um, nobody, nobody greeted me, you know, it was almost like I was invisible. I tried to participate in the meeting and it was as if i didn't say anything. And then only to have colleagues say something similar or the same thing and have it be, oh, that's a great idea. And, and I remember sitting there going, what is going on? Like this guy, this has to be a dream. Like this is not real. Like people don't treat people like this. And so I would have to be honest, you know, for, for a while, I was very disturbed by it. I was hurt by it. I was angered by it. Um, And then, you know, the reality kind of set in that I had two choices, right? I could respond or I could react, which are two, two very different things. You know, the human nature side of me wanted to just react and be angry and be bitter about what was going on and, and, and disengage and not do the work that was required. But long-term, I knew that wouldn't get me where I really wanted to go. So instead I decided I was gonna take the approach of responding, which means I'm going to be strategic. I'm going to figure out the positive route to take to navigate through this. I can't control other people, but I can control how I respond. And so I really went on this huge quest to find out what this leadership thing was all about. I didn't feel like I was gonna get it in the organization. So I turned to books and I turned to tapes and I became a self-development junkie, if you will. So that's where I fell in love with the John Maxwell's and the Anthony Robbins and the Brian Tracy's and the Jim Rohn's. And I, in fact, if I go in my basement right now, I have boxes of cassette tapes, not to date myself too much, of the things I would listen to day in and day out in, in my car, trying to figure this thing out. Like, how do I not duplicate the behavior that I'm seeing? Because I don't like that. I don't like the way this makes me feel. And heaven forbid, anybody else around me is being treated this way. And when I have a team, that's not how I'm going to treat them. And so that's where a lot of this was born out of, was just out of my own uh, you know, passion for navigating this culture and being the example that I want it to, to be for others in the organization. Well, Don, thank you for sharing that. It's uh, a couple of things I would want to draw out of that. One is uh, the power of faced with unfair, unjust circumstances and just plain wrong mm-hmm. that you found a way to positively respond in those. And if, and not to you know shine too bright a light, but if you can do that, there's every one of us you have paved the way for anybody who is facing those kinds of circumstances um, to do that. And the second thing I would say is, particularly listeners, this is, if you haven't heard Don's story before, she's not the only one telling the story. And we need to hear these stories. We need to be listening to them. And we need to be doing our own responses. It's not up for Don to have to fix all this stuff. She's I mean, Don, you've done an amazing thing for your, your own career and the way that you're helping leaders today. But uh, for myself, you know, 
there is still so much work that we all need to be doing on this. And so I appreciate you and your willingness to share your story with us um, along those lines. No, thank you. All right. So we have been talking with Don Kirk about heartbeat leadership. Don, tell us where we can connect with you and where we can find the book. So I'll make it simple. One place to do both. Um, So just go to heartbeatleadershipbook.com. You can purchase the book there. You can download a free chapter there if you like. And then lastly, you can connect directly with me if you have questions or if you have some follow-ups. And if you just like to chit-chat a little more about your particular challenges or your goals, you can schedule a complimentary consultation with me um, on that website as well. Well, that sounds like an absolute bonus for everybody who's been able to, to listen to the show today. Hey, Don, thanks again uh, for sharing that with us. We'll make sure and get all of the links and we'll get your social media links we'll, and the connection to the book. We'll get all of that also in the show notes. So if you didn't, if you're driving right now, I don't know where you're driving if you work from home, but maybe you're driving or you're on your treadmill, we'll get that in the show notes for you and you can, you can check that out later. And then finally is to call out, and, I, and I'd like to wrap up the, the show today this way because you, you encapsulated so vividly what it means to be the kind of leader, the the heartbeat leadership that you're talking about when we talk about leadership without losing your soul. The the catchphrase at the end of every episode is be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Mm -hmm. And you just articulated that, that that's your mission, that that's the path you set yourself on. And so I'd like to give you the closing words today, Don, when you're thinking about trying to be the kind of leader that you'd want your boss to be. If you had to boil it down and say, you know what, do this every day, what would that be? I would say, this is hard. Like, I thought this would be an easy, I'm like, oh, sure, I can just rattle that off. But I think I'm just going to say, think about others first. Just think about others first. It's not about you. How could you make someone else's day? I think if you think about how do I make someone else's day, then it'll become very easy on what you should do next or what you should do first. And when you do that, you're on your way to being the leader you want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.